Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Tony Morita to the podcast. Tony serves as the pastor for preaching at Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's also the dean of Grimke Seminary and director of theological training for Acts 29. He's written numerous books in the Christ-Centered Exposition Series, the Christ-Centered Expositor, and most recently, Love Your Church. Tony, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. It is a great joy to be with you, brother. Hey, it's great to be in the studio today. Of course, we're recording this in the context of uh, our 2022 for the Church Conference. You're here. You're our kickoff speaker. And yeah. actually here, not that far away, so I hope you're ready to preach. <laughs> yeah, you know, I hit leadoff in college, and my job was just to get on base. So maybe I'll take one in the chin, whatever it takes to get get the conference, uh, you know, kicked off well. Uh, you'll, you'll kick it off well. What passage are you, are you preaching on? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. Oh, great. That's yeah. great. Well, yeah. I look forward to hearing you here shortly. Just yeah. talked to my wife, and uh, we were talking about the schedule this afternoon, and she said, oh, I want to hear Tony. I'm going to I'm gonna make a way for myself to get up there. And yeah. so she's coming to hear you preach, too. So, well, so get on base. Okay, we'll do what we can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we're talking about uh, about loving your church. And I'm really building the, the conversation all from uh, your recent book, Tony, entitled Love Your Church, Eight Great Things About Being a Church Member. And I mean, I love this little book, uh, Out with a Good Book Company. It comes with some great, great blurbs here, especially by Alistair Begg, who says, this book has reminded me why it's a thrill to be part of a local church. So, Tony, I guess uh, before we get to the book, though, give us a a word of update on yourself and your ministry and and your family and what's new with you guys. Yeah, so uh, Kimberly and I will have been married uh, 19 years this December. Uh, Marriage is great. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. Fortunately, that was the right one. You know, maybe I don't know if she would say that, but <laughs> no, we're we're happily married. Uh, we have five kids, all getting older. Our youngest turns eighteen uh, in two days, so we'll have kids now ages eighteen to twenty-three. So we've had some ups and downs, some challenging seasons of of parenting, but we're um, we're, we're doing well, ticking along. Uh, church is doing really well. I took a sabbatical this summer. It was the first time I'd, I'd taken a sabbatical. And had three months to um, to rest and and to read and just take take uh, you know have some slow mornings and some time with my wife uh, that was really special. But came back and the church actually grew in my absence. I'd heard of that sort of thing happening before. I was delighted to to see that that was the case. Uh, we've e- even had people join the church and in, in the three month window, and I didn't even get to meet them. You know, so all of that's kind of a new experience. But uh, we've been at our church now uh, eleven years. Uh, we planted the church eleven years ago. And very happy, very happy with uh, what the Lord is doing. We have a wonderful team. And uh, yeah, I'm just coming back very energized. I think everybody's ready to kind of put a lot of the COVID challenges behind us and get back to, to life. And even being at this conference is is encouraging in the sense that, uh, man, we're back together. And we're uh, back. I saw Matt Carter in the hotel and I, was, I haven't seen him since, uh, you know, the pandemic. And I was like, it's so good to be back at these things. I agree. And, you know, I think I, I mentioned to you just before we started recording, we have 1,100 folks here. I mean, as long as the fire marshal doesn't come by, we're going to be in good shape. But we are, we are beyond sold out. Mm-hmm. And so we're grateful to God for that. Mm-hmm. And I do think that does represent a, a broader desire to come together again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're grateful to be able to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Hey, give us a word on your writing ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just mentioned Love Your Church, which came out here recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else in the pipeline? Yeah, so that book is, is actually uh, done very well, and it's received a lot of good traction in different parts of the world even. Uh, and so the Good Book Company has asked uh, to do an entire series. We're doing a Love Your Church series. And so those eight uh, responsibilities slash privileges that we write about are, will each be a book. And so 
Uh, we'll have three of them out in January. I wrote the one on uh, the, the importance of the gathering. Um, and so that that's exciting. Um, I, the book really kind of met a need, I think, and it was a pretty timely book as well. And so are you going to do all eight subsequent no, volumes? No, I'll just do one. Yeah, I'm just doing one of those eight. We have different authors uh, to do to do the others. Yeah. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, let's talk about the book more specifically. And I love everything about it, including the title. Mm-hmm. So as far as the topic, not just the title, but the topic itself, what prompted you to write a book on Love mm-hmm. Your Church? Yes, I wanted to write something on the church. Uh, I've been pastoring for nearly 20 years, and we talk a lot about the church with our interns and residents and I've written a number of blogs and articles and that kind of thing. But most of my books were either commentaries or preaching books and with a few kind of one-off topics. But I wanted to write something specifically about the church. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to, how I wanted to do it. So the Good Book Company was really helpful as we began to shape uh, this particular book. And I really wanted to write a book after we had our discussion on what it means to be a church member, the privileges of being a church member, the responsibilities and the books that we were using in our church membership class were, were good and helpful, but there were a few gaps that, that I wanted to kind of fill. So like the, the chapter on uh, sending and witnessing and, and sort of the missional focus that we tried to instill in our membership class. So I really wanted a book for my own church as, as people were coming through. And uh, as I was talking to uh, other pastors, they were kind of echoing that desire to have a, a, an accessible book that's written for lay people. And I think that's one of the dis- distinguishing traits of this book uh, in, in, with all of my books. They're usually directed toward leaders or, or pastors or preachers. And this I wrote for my mom and dad. You know, I wrote for, for lay people to, to kind of know what's being expected of them and, and the joy and privilege of being a church member. And so, for example, when I wrote on uh, preaching in, in the book, I'm writing for how to listen to a sermon, you know, rather than how to prepare one and, and deliver it. So that was that was new. It was enjoyable and uh, really thankful for how the Lord has, has been using it. So you have been preaching and pastoring now for how many years? So I started pastoring in New Orleans when I was 27. I'm 45, soon to be 46. So almost 20 years. So almost 20 years. But I was preaching about, I don't know, seven, eight years before that on the, on the, the youth circuit. Yeah, so we're close. You're just a couple years older than I am. But I've been in ministry now roughly 25 years and uh, started serving in college and started pastoring 20 years ago, like last week, actually. So mm-hmm. it's been a sweet anniversary my wife and I have been reflecting on. Mm-hmm. But give us a sense as you wrote this book, like what did you learn about these topics as you wrote the book? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it reinforced my view of the church. You know, the, the church is imperfect, but it's indispensable. Um, we, it's irreplaceable. And it's got to be at the heart of our uh, discipleship of, of people. And I've said for years that I think ecclesiology is one of the, the least taught disciplines in uh, modern-day discipleship plans. You know, There's a lot of stuff about quiet times and prayer, and, and, and that's all great. Um, but a lot of people just don't understand the church very well. And so I, I think it's reinforced the, the, the need to uh, clarify you know, what we believe about the church, to, to articulate it in a way that people can understand and, and really enjoy the, the thrill of being part of a church. I enjoyed again writing for for lay people and not leaders. That was that was a new kind of project for me, and I, I would like to write more books uh, in that vein. I think so. Yeah, there was there was a lot of reflection. There was a lot of editing. There, there was a lot of stuff that I was like, oh man, th- I need this as much as the people that I'm writing to need this, um, because you know before I'm a pastor, I'm a church member. So I think just the the privilege of belonging to a church, uh, as imperfect as it is, um, was really encouraging. So you and I are about the same age as we just referenced. 
And, uh, you know, we kind of grew up as kids in the 80s mm-hmm. and into the 90s. And uh, in that era, that late 20th century kind of evangelical context, a lot of emphasis was placed on a personal relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. a personal relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. a personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. We heard it all the time, and, uh, and mm-hmm. blessedly so. Mm-hmm. And that was really against a broader context of like your church membership does not save you, whether mm-hmm. it's membership in the Roman Catholic Church or membership in a Southern Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. That, that institutional identity doesn't save you. Mm-hmm. You need to have a personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And at times I wonder if maybe the pendulum swung a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we have subtly conveyed the idea that Christians can be kind of free agents floating around to whatever church, whatever gathering, whatever Christian ministry, whatever parachurch organization that, that kind of, quote, feeds us or meets our spiritual needs, because it's not about that institutional connection. It's about my personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. I think your book strikes a great balance there mm-hmm. as, to, as to, yeah, it's not about institutional identification with the congregation for salvation, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. But also, we're not free agents roaming right, around. Right. You point us not just to the love of the local church, but our need for the local church. Give us a sense as to uh, how you frame that up in the book. I think you articulated that beautifully, man, especially in an area like uh, Raleigh-Durham where I'm at. There are a lot of churches, a lot of good churches, and Christians can just kind of float around from one to the other, and they like this sermon series better than the other guy's sermon series. And and so we we, we push against that. We fight against that. Like, pick a church and, and, and serve there, you know, like— it is really a unique phenomenon. I think you hit on the kind of the Western individualism that's sort of seeped into our Christianity. It impacts how we read the Bible. Like we miss a lot of the plural pronouns in the New Testament. So much emphasis is on we and us and not not me. You know, uh, texts I come to mind like Titus that that Jesus gave himself to to redeem a people for himself or First Peter that that he's he's brought a people from out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I am saved individually, praise the Lord. Christ loved me and gave himself for me, but we're also saved into community. And that is to be a lived community and not just an, an idealized uh, community. As I've found a lot of people kind of love the idea of the church, but haven't really loved real people in a church and and are identifiable with them. And so I, I'm really trying to emphasize that, that part of the, the communal nature of Christianity. So a few years ago, I was uh, in Kansas City here and bumped into a person who, whom I did not know, but I found myself in a brief social context with them, like in a place of business, small talking. And uh, I said something like, which I often do, kind of as a gateway evangelistic question, like, ah, where do, where do you guys go to church? Or do you have a church home? And, uh, and the answer was, again, in some ways expected, but still sending off alarm bells in my head. The answer was, well, it depends upon what we're doing that weekend. <laughs> if we want to go to a Saturday night service, we go here. If we want to go to an early Sunday morning service, we go there. Or if we want to go to like a Sunday afternoon service, we go to the third church you mentioned. And mm-hmm. I got alarm bells going off in my head. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that approach? Well, it's consumeristic. And it's um, uh, what I've found that's interesting is that the, a lot of people that even um, criticize consumeristic Christianity that actually have a, a good theology can actually live like a consumeristic Christian themselves. And I, I think we have to stop treating the church like I'm going to the movies and more like I'm enlisting in the military. I'm here to serve and, and here to get engaged in a mission. But when you have that sort of passive mentality of uh, the church is here to cater to my needs, we, we've really missed the whole, the, the, the whole bit, haven't we? We have indeed. In our cultural moment, especially— kind of post-COVID, mm-hmm. kind of sort of hopefully post-COVID, <laughs> it seems like the church is positioned to take on a whole other level of attractiveness. Mm-hmm. How do you sense we are in that regard? Yeah, I think um, people are lonely. I think that's, you know, part of the, the fallen nature of mankind. But I think COVID definitely made that worse. 
Uh, a lot of people uh, being isolated, being relationally empty for a season at least. Um, I think the church is the answer to you know humanity's longing for a community. It's very interesting when you even think about TV shows from Cheers to Friends to uh, even Lost. I mean, they're they're focused on friendship and relationship, and it's just the the human cry of humanity. Uh, and I think COVID just uh, just reinforced that e- even more. And so uh, we often say at our church, we offer the world two things, gospel and community. And I think holding out this, this, this is where we can find belonging is, is really attractive today. In the book, you share some encouraging stories about members loving their church uh, in your own ministry context. Can you maybe mention one or two of those here? Man, the one that comes off, my, off the top of my mind uh, immediately is the people who volunteer for our child care we have so many kids in our church, and it's just crazy. And it takes a lot of a lot of volunteers to to um, dive in there and, and serve our kids. So I'm really thankful for them. I, I think about the number of meals that have been served over the last handful of years for people who are sick or who can't leave the home for whatever reason. Our hospitality team, how they greet folks. You know, I've I've seen people cared for in in the hospital so remarkably well by people in our church. You know, our church honored me with a three-month sabbatical and, and then, you know, gave me a ovation when I returned. I mean, just the feeling of honor that that was was really special. So, yeah, I could go on, but it's, it's, it's the, the, the stuff that's not celebrated, you know, on social media or stuff that uh, you don't, you know, it doesn't look sensational, but it's just faithful church membership, loving people in a local community, uh, and it's beautiful to see, you know. It's beautiful to hear in this mm-hmm. conversation. So give us a sense for those listening who are, who are pastors especially, and most of our listeners are pastors, local church ministers, seminary students. Mm-hmm. But for those who are serving in pastoral ministry in the local church context, um, what would you say to them about how they can equip their members to be more oriented towards the local church, uh, more more given to loving their church more? What would you say to them in addition to buy the book? Mm-hmm. How do pastors love their church more? Is that yeah. that question? Yeah. Um, well, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Like to love. Again, it's easy to love the idea of the church, but sometimes, what about certain church members? It's that may be more difficult to do. I think it's it's very important that we think on the cross uh, all the time, and the cross has the power to to humble us, to put things in perspective, reminds us of we're we're dealing with sinful people. We ourselves are that we all are. The ground's level at the cross, as they say. So I think as as it gets difficult to love people, I got to marinate on the gospel myself and really work it into my heart. Uh, I think about old Richard Baxter when he said uh, that he he thought about heaven for 30 minutes a day, um, and that's one of the ways he endured hardship. I think we can endure uh, a lot of difficulties on earth when we think about heaven a lot, um, and so that's helpful. I think for pastors to uh, to be in community themselves with other pastors— I was hanging out with some local pastors here last night, and it was just encouraging just to tell war stories and and talk about where we're at. And if guys don't have those kinds of friendships, you know, that can really be difficult. Um, And then I I read a book uh, several years ago by David Murray called Reset um, for Pastors to Avoid Burnout. And um, he he mentioned having a hobby, and he said something very interesting, I thought. He said a lot of pastors don't have a hobby because they actually love their work so much. A hobby is— something they, they love less, and so they don't usually choose it. And he was like, I'm telling you, you need to choose it uh, mm. to, to get your, your mind and heart out of the trenches from time to time. And so whether that's golf or woodwork or, or whatever, I think uh, if we are not pulling away from our work, 
and and having a, a mental emotional break, you know, we're we're, we're doomed to to burn out or, or something along those lines. So those are some things that that come to mind. You know, you mentioned heaven. Uh, on our way to church on Sundays, typically we listen to hymns in, in the SUV on the way to church. And uh, usually it's kind of like my favorite hits. You know, I'll play a few as we're driving, get myself psyched up to preach and mm-hmm. uh, just to reflect on God's goodness. And, and this Sunday we're driving and uh, we're listening to, and some of it is kind of a joke for us, like a blast to the past from my wife and I and our kids. Like, we never heard that song. Well, uh, I, I was playing on Jordan Stormy Banks, mm-hmm. I Stand and Cast a Wishful Eye. And I, I was reflecting on my wife, and we both were talking about how that song was a common part of our childhood. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it, it's beyond the song itself. I, I find it stirring this morning because it's pointing me heavenward. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I don't get pointed heavenward enough these days in song. Mm-hmm. And some of it's because, I suppose, in 21st century America, we, we got a little touch of heaven. And I mean that lowercase h mm-hmm. with our own material mm-hmm. gain. Mm-hmm. Some of it is because I, I think those gospel songs, which, which you know, kind of a generation or two removed that, that may seem folky or campy. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if, if there's a, a lack of, of heavenward focus mm-hmm. in our worship, mm-hmm. in our songs, and indeed in our conversations today. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I, I think you find a history of people singing those songs when they're suffering. Um, when, when, as you said it, when we've got everything we need right now, uh, what are we looking forward to? But the reality is even wealthy well-to-do people. I, you know, I pastor a pretty diverse congregation, but a lot of people with a lot of stuff, they're still suffering. I mean, it's, it's just not as visible, you know, and, and pronounced, but the grief and the loss and the pain of the fallenness is, is there and it's present. Um, and so, yeah, I, we, we definitely need to, to keep that emphasis. We're preaching through Luke's gospel right now at our church, and it's interesting how many parables that Jesus tells that have a focus on heaven, you know, the joy of heaven when a sinner repents or how to use our money in, in light of the fact that, that heaven is coming and reward is coming. I think it's, uh, it's, it's critical to have uh, an eye there. Well, Tony, our time is just about gone, but maybe another question or two. Uh, what would you say to pastors to stimulate them to love their own church members mm. more effectively? Mm. I, I think uh, prayer is the thing that comes to mind first. Our elders meet once a month for an extended period of time early in the morning, and that is such a wonderful time, not just to intercede on behalf of our folks, but it really does warm my heart to our people. It, it reminds me of, of the needs that are in our congregation. And so I would say that. I would say in our preparation um, to remember that we're preparing sermons and, and preaching sermons to people that were called to love. Uh, you know, Brian Chapel in his uh, Christ Center preaching book says that early on in his preaching career, he had to write at the top of his page, love the people, uh, you know, as he was preaching, because you can have a tendency to just want to get through your material and, and not be expressing compassion and, and love as you're preaching. Uh, I think the, the importance of just being present with people is huge. I think also like interesting, like a way to love people well is actually to have a good organization and to have good structure, good administration, good systems, good ways to, to provide consistent care for people and, and not go willy-nilly out there, but, but actually have sort of an organized plan for shepherding. Tony, thank you for the conversation today, for joining me on Preaching and Preachers, and for your new book, Love Your Church, Eight Great Things About Being a Church Member, out with The Good Book Company and a book I heartily recommend. Yeah. Thank you, brother. And thank you. Thank you for all you're doing here too, brother. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.